0: This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Good morning. Good morning. If you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 15 for today. Do you know who you are? Seems like a silly question, doesn't it? Of course I know who I am. But do you know who you are? Because knowing who you are uh, is essential to knowing how you ought to live. Um, I've mentioned before uh, in Ephesians, uh, just like in most of Paul's letters, the first half is usually devoted to telling us who God is, what he has done in Christ, and who we are. Uh, And then the second half of the book, when you get to Ephesians chapter four, it's because of all this, then walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk like this because of who you are, what who God is, what he has done for us. Um, There's a a set of uh, novels, uh, youth literature, uh, that's written by Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson is a Christian musician. Um, but he's also uh, written this set of novels called *The Wingfeather Saga*. I've read it to my kids a few times already. Um, there's four of them in the set, but basically it begins, and there is this family that is living in the land of Skree. It's a kind of a, a fairy tale kind of land, uh, and this land is occupied territory. Uh, this this. Uh, army of, of, uh, the commander nag the nameless who has, has, uh, sent his army of these snake people called fangs and has defeated this land. And this, this family with, with three kids is living there in that land. And, and they, you know, they're about as happy as they can be living in, uh, occupied territory that's controlled by a bunch of snake people. Um, However, everything changes when they discover who they are, because in actuality, this these uh, three kids are actually the heirs to the throne. They are the children of the king of a of a land beyond the sea. And, And that is kind of how we are. We are children of the king and we are living in occupied territory. And if you want to know how to live in this world, we have to know who we are. Um, In Ephesians... Um, we saw whenever I was here last in the first part of chapter one about what God has done in Christ for us. Uh, and, and here uh, there, Paul expresses how he wants us to know certain things about what God has done, what we are destination is, all of these things so that we will know how we are to live. So let's look at Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse 15. For this reason. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ and all, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have told us what you have done in Christ for us. We thank you that you've told us that we are your children if we have, have trusted in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have tell, told us what our destination is, the hope that we, we, we've been called to. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and and open our ears that we may see and hear. Uh, from you this morning. Lord, I pray that you give me grace as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. He begins for this reason. Well, what reason is that? Is he talking about what came before? Or is he talking about... What comes after? Well, because it, and it, the next word is because I think it's what comes after for this reason. The reason is because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for toward the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you. We've got a prayer here. Paul, just like his other letters to the other churches, he prays giving thanks for these different congregations. And here he prays giving thanks for them because of two things he notes here. Because he's heard of their faith and he's heard of the love that they've had towards one another. You know, the... It had been at least probably seven years since Paul had been to Ephesus. By the time this was written, he was in prison. And um, it's possible that the believers that he was writing to, he didn't even know. But he'd heard about their faith. And he'd heard about the love with which they had for one another. And those were the things that testified to him so that he knew these were believers. These were were people who were trusting in Jesus. He didn't hear about miracles that they performed. He didn't hear about any any uh, abundant works that they'd done. No, what he points to, to know that these people were believers were two things, that they had believed in Jesus. They had trusted in him. They had faith in Jesus. And they had love toward all the saints. John tells us uh, that we are known Uh, The the proof of a true believer is our love for one another. A man can't love God and hate his brother. That love that we have for one another is is an evidence, a true evidence that we are believers. And so what should we do with this? Uh, This is Paul saying a prayer for a congregation that was there 2,000 years ago. How does that relate to us? Well, I think we can use this as an example, as a model. For one, a pastor of a congregation can look at his congregation and be thankful and give thanks to God continually to because he sees what regardless of the flaws Regardless of of whatever is going on in the church, regardless of the criticism that he may get, he can look at the congregation and see these people who love one another, they're serving one another, and these people are people who who are trusting in Jesus. Regardless of the warts, a pastor can look, and not only that, but I believe we all here would agree, we believe in the priesthood of believers, right? And so each one of us, as we serve and we minister to one another, we may see flaws here and there in one another. But let it be in us like it is in Paul. And let's praise God and thank him for one another as we look at one another and see these are people who believe and trust in Jesus. These are people who believe and who love one another, warts and all. Warts and all. Let us be like that, like Paul is, and, and, and imitate this prayer. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. He turns from a prayer of thanksgiving to a prayer of intercession. He's praying, this is what I want for them. This is what, and this is what a a pastor should pray for his people. And this is what we ought to pray for one another as well. Fulfilling that priesthood of believers, that uh, royal priesthood that, that God has called us into. He says that, that he prays that you may, uh, that that the God, that God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He wants our eyes to be opened. He wants us to have a spirit of wisdom. He doesn't just want us to be eggheads with knowledge, but He wants us to have wisdom, to know how to live in accordance with the truth. He wants us to have the spirit of wisdom in the knowledge of Him and to have our eyes enlightened And the eyes of our hearts enlightened. He wants us to have an awakening to realize what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. To to see with spiritual eyes what is going on. The next thing he, he prays for, he says, he prays that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. He wants us to know our future. Not the not the specific details. He doesn't want us to know you know where we're going to be do what we're going to be doing in the next year, the next 5 years or things like that. But he wants us to know the hope that we've been called to. He wants us to know that we have been as it said in the in the last sermon, we he has predestined us to the the adoption as sons, He he has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in Him. That's the hope to which we've been called. That one day Christ will come, He will call us home, and He will present us before the Father holy and blameless. And when we look at our own lives and we, we test ourselves, sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, I'll never make it. I'm not good enough. Paul wants us to know that if we have trusted in Jesus and if we love one another, that evidence is there that we are one day going to be presented before the Father holy and blameless. What now we just long for will be reality. He'll make us perfect. He'll wipe away every tear. There will no longer be any sickness, no more crying, no more pain. You all know my mom just went through having a brain tumor removed. And right now she's uh, recovering and and she's doing a whole lot better than a few weeks ago. But still, you know she's got a long road of recovery. That hope that which we've been called, there will one day be no more brain tumors. There will no longer be any sickness. And whatever you're going through in your life, whether it be some kind of medical condition, whether it be some kind of uh, situation with your family or, or, or at work or, or, um, or financial, whatever you're going through. These momentary afflictions that, that afflict us are not worthy to be compared, Paul says in another place, to, be, to, the, to the eternal glory that is to be revealed. That hope to which we've been called. He wants us to know our future. He wants us to know our hope. He wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us. Oh, I passed up one. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Riches. He doesn't hold anything back. He talked about the same thing in the last passage. According to the riches of His grace in verse 7. He doesn't hold anything back. He lavishes his love upon us. And he wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. He has power toward us who believe. He can work powerfully in our lives. We sometimes think, "Oh, I could never do this or that that God has called me to. I could, I could never change." Maybe you feel like, but God has the power to break through any walls in our lives. He says, "The power that Jesus, that the, the power that He has in us toward believers is the same power." that He raised Jesus from the dead with. Let's look at this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who, who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. You want to know the kind of power that God has in your life? It's the same power. The same power according to which He worked when He raised Christ from the dead. If He can raise Christ from the dead... He can change your life. He can take a wretched sinner like I was and save me and change me, make me a new creation. He can stake you wherever you are in whatever impossible situation you think you're in, and He has power over that. We know the hope to which we've been called and the power that he has the same power that Christ that he used when Christ was risen from the dead and seated him at the right hand at the right hand of the father in the heavenly places that same power that seated him above, the, uh, above all things he's above all things all uh, all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named he is above every congressman Every senator, he is above every president, he is above every ruler of all the earth. And now same words, whenever it says all authority, every rule and authority and power and dominion, we see later on in the book. We see later on in the book at the end in chapter six, whenever it says we do not wrestle against principalities and powers, but against I'm sorry, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers the, that language of dominion and rule and authority that's the same kind of language that uh, that the Old Testament uh, the, not the Old Testament but the Jewish people would use to talk about uh, angelic beings and at the end you know in in, in um, chapter six he's he's talking about wrestling with the angelic forces uh, that are that are evil fallen angels but that same language could show, could talk about Angelic beings, the, the good, the elect angels that got, that Paul talks about elsewhere. And Jesus is exalted above every human ruler and he's exalted above any angel. Jesus is exalted above everything. He is exalted above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. Um, I think back to the story of The Tower of Babel. The people that were there building the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They were doing it because they wanted to make a name for themselves. And God looked down and He saw these people who were building a tower to be able to reach the heavens, to try to be able to reach God Himself, to be able to make a name for themselves. And He demolished their progress. He confused the languages. And they weren't able to continue. But Jesus, He is the one who descended from heaven and ascended again into the heavens. And He has a name which is higher than than those names of those ancient people that tried to build the Tower of Babel. We don't have any of their names recorded. But Jesus is the name that is above every name Jesus is above every name that is in this age, this age in which we live now and in the age to come whenever He returns. There will never be a name that is higher than the name of Jesus. He is worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor, all worship forever and ever and ever. He is famous. The Beatles, I believe, famously quipped, we're bigger than Jesus. There will be a day when people don't even remember who the Beatles were. It hasn't come yet. (laughs) But Jesus' name will endure forever. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And he put all things under his feet. That is biblical language coming from the Psalms. Coming from Psalm 8 that Tom read. And in in Psalm 8, we see this story of creation. What is man that you are mindful of, and the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor, and you put all things under his feet. That's said about man, that's said about humanity, that's said about Adam. Yet Adam, the first Adam, Failed. We were intended to rule over creation. God gave us dominion over all the creatures of the earth. Yet what God said about Adam who failed, he now puts into the hands of Jesus. He has been all things have been put under his feet. He has been given authority over all things, over all the animals, over every creeping thing. He has been given authority. He is the second Adam, in a way. Paul talks about Jesus being the second Adam in in Romans, but I think the concept is here whenever he says he put all things under his feet. Just looking back at that that psalm that tells us that man had all things put under his feet. Jesus rules over all things, over every creature, over every star, over every planet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. Now I want to point out what this doesn't say. It doesn't say he gave him as, over, as head over all things in the church which He has. He is head over the church. He is, he is the head to which the church is to get in line with. But here He says, He gave Him as head over all things to the church. Now, we might wonder sometimes when we look around, how can we possibly be successful with our mission that God has given us? How can we possibly be successful in the Great Commission task to which God has called us to? Well, the reason we can, be, we can know, we can be confident that we will be successful in the commission that He's called us to is that we have Christ who is head over all things. He rules over all things. He rules over the stars and the planets. He rules over. Every creeping thing he rules over every human heart. And he's given the son. The father has given the son to the church as head over all things. What confidence that can give to the church to know that the father has given us the son who is head over all things to us to help us in our mission. Amen. He's given the son to the church, which is his body. We are the body of Christ. It tells us that in many different places in the, in the new Testament, that we are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet. We are the ones who go and proclaim as ambassadors for him. We are the ones who feed the needy. We are the ones who clothe the poor, the sick, and the naked. We are His body. And we are about proclaiming what He has done until He comes again. We are His body. We are united to Him. Connected like a head to the rest of the body if you have trusted in Christ, if you believe in Him, you are united to Him. In Christ. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Jesus is the completion. He is the capstone. He is... is what everything in all of human history was pointed towards. He fills all in all. He fulfills everything. Every desire that human beings have, every plan, everything is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, we need to know who we are. If we're to be able to face the world that we live in that's filled with demonic forces that come at us. If we're going to be able to, to live in this world and know how we ought to behave ourselves, we need to know who we are. We need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. We need to, have, we need to know the hope that lies before us one day we will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. And there will no longer be any tears. No longer be any sickness. We need to know the power that God has toward us. When we get discouraged, when we get discouraged because I just haven't seen the change that I need to have in my life, we need to know the power That God has. That same power that He used to raise Jesus from the dead and exalt Him above every name that has ever been named. Do you know who you are? Do you know what God has done?